I travel to Kenya a lot. I have uh, army missions in Kenya that I do. I've been doing it for 20 plus years. And I get over to Kenya, got the same friends though. I haven't transitioned friends. So you roll off the plane, everybody's like, what's up, what's up? Yeah, and you, and you get into it. <laughs> and methamphetamines have found their way into Kenya. Methamphetamines have found their way into my friends. So here I am faced again with a problem. Is it a problem? Would I be strong enough? And honestly, I wasn't. And next thing you know, I, I, I walked a mission through Kenya high. And behind that, every time, shame. Shame again led to what? Cover. Cover led to more shame. And it was just this cycle. It's a hamster wheel of just shame and just trying to, to, to cover it back up and run away from it through other things other than anything that's gonna help me. But on the plane ride, it's different this time. I just didn't sit there in myself saying, <laughs> Man, I'm, I suck, I'm not good. But I'm in my head going, God, what, what do I do? What do I do? You know, I don't remember a whole lot before the age of eight. Because at the age of eight, there was an experience in my life that changed the dynamic and the trajectory of where I was headed. Um, I, I know from the stories of my mom and from the stories of my, my sister and my parents and my grandparents that, oh, the, you know, Shay was this good kid. He always listened to his mom. He was always with his mom. You know, he never cried at the restaurant. He always was just on, on, a, on a good, he was just good. But I don't know that kid. I don't know that kid. I do now. I know the kid that, you know, was good because, well, God made me to be good. But I experienced trauma early. So like I said, at age eight, uh, my parents came to us on Christmas Day and told us that they were going to get a divorce. What a hard day. <laughs> you know, you wake up in the morning and of course, back then, Santa Claus and, and all these great things. You're like, oh, presents and you're getting up. And but I just remember just a crushing at that moment. I remember as they announced this on Christmas Day, that was my present. That was my present was, hey, we're not going to be together no more. And so they split up. They, they moved their separate ways. Um, my dad left us with uh, my mom. He cared for us. He took care of us. He paid, you know, he took, he did all that he needed to do. We would visit on weekends, but there was a shattering in there. There was a loneliness. There was like something missing in my life. And we move forward through that. And, you know, you're trying to digest that and process that and, and, and come to terms with that. And then things just compound. My mom kind of went through a phase, so she got married young, not to break into her testimony, but it's important to lead into some of this. She got married young, you know, got a divorce, kind of went into a wild a season. And in some of that season, it put me and my sister in jeopardy. Um, there were times when we would just be given money to leave the house. You know, here I am, what, maybe 10 years old, being given $50 to walk out. Hey, just go, go away. And there were some things going on there why I had to leave the house. And so where did I go? I mean, back in the day where I grew up, man, it was the arcade. Hey, let's go to the arcade. Man, I got $50 in my pocket, man. I'm like, what? I got all this money. I got quarters. I could, man, I could play all day. And I did. And I went in there and I just kept playing and playing. I'd be, and, you know, told, be gone for a few hours. This is 10 years old. This is 10 years old. Just go. Well, that's where I was preyed upon. I was preyed upon by a man that I didn't know in the arcade. What's interesting about this, though, is because I was going through also these seasons of sexuality. I, I didn't even know. I, man, I wasn't even in puberty yet. Yet here I was, you know, playing with myself, you know, masturbating with myself, trying to understand life. And, and this guy comes along. He starts to pay the attention. You know, the father I don't have, the, uh, a man in my life, um, the love that I didn't feel like I was getting. And, and he took advantage of that. And through one whole period and one whole season, one whole summer, 
I would keep going back to this man, and this man would sexually abuse me, molest me, do things that kids shouldn't be doing at that age, especially being forced upon them. And it took a long time, and, some, and, and that really broke me. You know, the divorce was bad, it, it, but this broke me. This took me to levels that I didn't think I would ever recover from. Because there's all of these questions you start to ask yourself. You know, here you are in a sexual, sexual season in your life, and here you are now with a man. And here you are going back to a man. And when I was going back to this man, you know, you, 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 you break free. I don't know how, uh, you know, I didn't know then, but I know now that God made a way for me to get out and escape that. It was like a season. It was like, you know, seasons in our lives. <laughs> we go through these seasons and it's like, it's never going to end. But then, I don't know, school started back up. The arcade wasn't like it, it wasn't available like it was. The, the situation wasn't available like it was. And I walked out of it just feeling shameful, broken, unworthy. You know, I, my parents at the time, had, even when growing up, they weren't in church. Um, I know that my grandparents, my grandparents, my uncles, my aunts, they were all believers in Christ. They all believed that, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, I didn't really have that instilled into me. And so as, as that progresses, you know, you're, you're, you're in the shame, you know, middle school was, you know, <laughs> the enemy again. Shay, right? One of my best friends, all of a sudden, out of the blue, knew nothing about what had happened that summer. My new nickname became Shay Gay. Here I am in the middle of a struggle. Here I am in the middle of like my sexual identity. Do I like girls or do I like guys? I'm supposed to like girls. What is this? What was this thing that I was doing? Was it something that I, I liked? You know, you start putting these things in your head. You don't see them as, as someone taking advantage of a child. You see them as you're like this person who's responsible, who can handle themselves, who is supposed to know better. And here I am fighting this over and over and over again. Who am I? Who am I? And that is where I, I started the identity crisis, the emptiness, the not knowing how to fill this gap, this bridge, this, this, this depth of darkness that was inside of me. And I just wanted to be loved. I wanted to be filled. I didn't want to be empty anymore. But here I was dealing with this on my own, being made fun of at school. Um, so I go through middle school. I didn't, I shouldn't even pass. I wasn't doing the work. Man, I go to the nurse's office, rub the thermometer, say I'm sick. Uh, usually did pretty well. It'd be about, you know, right on time. One time the nurse comes in and goes, wait, you're 110 degrees? Hold on, you should be dead. And so they kind of started putting this together. So school wasn't in my mind. Everything was just over, overwhelming me because who was I? And I just felt dirty. I felt ashamed. Um, didn't know how to place that. The only place I placed it was here. I never told nobody about the molestation. I never told nobody that I had gone through that. Their assumption was, this is a reflection of a divorce. So everyone was thinking divorce, trying to help a kid who went through divorce, but the real issue was a kid who had been sexually abused. So I held on to that. The years went by, I, got, I get to ninth grade, um, I make this decision out of anger. I look at my mom and I say, I'm done with you. I don't wanna be with you. I wanna be with my dad. Now my dad and I never really had a strong relationship. It wasn't like I knew him and he was, hey boy, what's up? He, I could tell he loved me, but there wasn't this, this need that I had. I had a need. It was, it was dry. It was, it was hard. It was hard to deal with. It was like I was never good enough. If I did something good, there was always a way to be better. 
And so that was my life. It was always trying to prove myself, bring myself up from somewhere that I was placed that I didn't even know how to crawl out of. And so I just kept moving and I kept moving. And, and, and what I found in this was fixes. I like to call them fixes. You could say it, you see it in the drug world, you can see it in all kinds of worlds because I've done it all. The fix, the next fix, the next, the next big push to, to forget or the next big push to be given, uh, you know, the data boy, the attaboys and, and just that lift, that something to lift you up from that, that pain that you're feeling, that momentary glimpse into something good. So, you know, I did things. I got into the sports programs. I got into school programs. I mean, I was on everything, football, basketball, baseball, anything to keep my mind busy, anything to keep me going. And I was doing it. It was doing good. I had all these people over here saying, that's good. That's great. That's awesome. So I'm running these two, these two trajectories. I'm running this trajectory of people saying, you're doing good and it looks good. It looks good on paper, but underneath in the, in the chasms of my soul and my spirit, I'm hurting. I'm dying. I'm trying to feel something that I didn't know how to feel. And so I go through school, I mean, letter jackets, awards, uh, scholarships to do better. You know, like you're going to be in college, you're going to play basketball, setting records, 44.5 points a game in district playoffs. You know, of course, I walk off the court. My dad says, what? You could have rebounded better. That's what I was dealing with. And I was, so I was dealing with this wanting to be accepted. And my life has just been that, wanting to be accepted. So I, I'm moving and I'm around my friends and, you know, you get around friends that aren't in the whole Christian. I'm in a Christian school. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I'm in a Christian school. We're not all following Christ like that. I don't have the friends that are like, hey, you need Jesus. It's more like, hey, let's go party on the weekends. Hey, let's go do this. I get tied up into like the, the parties, the drinking, the drugs were there. I started to notice friends that sold drugs. I was like, hey, I want some money too. They, it's, it was accepting. Hey, I'll do that with you. Oh, really? You're our boy. What? Come on, let's go. So I got into selling drugs. And I got into myself into a lot of trouble. In fact, to a point that one day I walk out of a house after dropping some drugs off and it was like cops all over again. I don't know if people know that, that, that show, but it was like, bam, in from all angles, police cars everywhere, slamming me on the car. Man, the pistol that I had on me was my dad's backup gun. He's a cop, by the way. <laughs> He's a cop. And I met him at the jail cell. And I thought I was done. And I was just looking at him and again, shame, just this constant piling on of shame. So what happens? The judge comes into it. We come into it. I joined the army. That was one of the deals. He goes in the army. He gets, you know, we'll give him a break. If he ever gets out of the army before his service time's up, we're going to put him in jail. It's kind of this, this, this deal that we put together. And I was like, let me just go to the army. And so I went to basic training. And let me tell you something again, athletic, love sports, love to move. Drill sergeants who normally beat people down are like, dude, come on, good job. And they're just pumping me up, this constant pumping, this constant pride, this constant attaboy. Yeah, you're doing great. And inside, I'm, I'm, I'm like hearing it and I'm like, yeah, yeah, prideful, yeah. But then there's always that time when you're down and it's like just this edging. You're gay. You're gay. Who are you? You know, what are you? You're nothing. Look what you did back then. Now, I've had God put into my life at this point. You know, I, I hear about Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I've got all these people. My parents are now believers. I'm like, there's a God. I'm telling my people and my team as I'm in missions, on, on military missions, in wars and in combat. I'm like, hey, there's a God. You know, I'm giving accolades. I'm getting accolades. I'm getting awards. I'm moving through this. I'm moving through the ranks. I'm in the army. It's just like, it's good on the outside. It's amazing that like the fronts that I could put up and, and, and the suppression that I would put in place. 
But all the time it's festering and there's just this voice in my head, you're nothing, you're not good enough, you're not this. So I'm in the army and, and we're moving. I tell people on the fiend, hey, look, you gotta believe in something. You gotta believe in something. I believe in God, I know Jesus exists, I know there's a Holy Spirit, but you gotta believe in something. Not following him, not walking it, but knowing that that was what I believed. But again, I, I think because of the shame, because of the pressure, because of everything that was going on in my life, that from past to, to moving forward and, and always having this emptiness, there was like, I'm not worthy though. I'm not worthy to stand in front of this God who, who judges. <laughs> See, here's the mentality. See, I'm, I, I was twisted. I, assemblies of God kind of upbringing, you know, sin leads you to hell. I'm sitting in my life going, man, I'm, I'm bad. I'm drinking on the weekends, hanging out, partying. I meet my first wife, man, she's doing marijuana. I'm doing that while I'm in the army. I'm doing these things that were just not helping me understand who I was. Fixes. I just keep going back to that word fixes more and more fixes. What's the next fix? What's the next thing that's going to lift me up? I get married. She's abusive. She breaks my nose. She stabs me in the back with scissors. Domestic violence calls are put into the police. The police come out. Usually they take the man away, but they're telling me, no, brother, she's going to kill you. You, you should leave her. So I, I kept that going because I didn't want to fail again. I didn't want to be like my parents. I didn't want to be in that divorce situation. I didn't want to have that hanging over my head. No, they did it. And it hurt me so bad. I don't want to do that. But eventually it got to the point where there's a lot of cheating and there was a lot of things that went on and I just had to break it free. So that was my first, my first marriage that I, that I came out of um, and not came out of it good. There was a lot of bad to that. Um, it really broke down. You know, it was good when you were there. I was deployed a lot. So it's not like I spent a lot of time. In fact, shoo, I married her after six months of knowing her. And I probably spent three years with her out of the nine I was married because of deployments or just never got around to get the divorce afterwards. But I'm sitting in a hospital finally, the breaking point of that marriage. I'm in war. I'm going through things. <sighs> things just keep adding up. All of a sudden now, and this is, this, is, this is a part of my life that I, I hold dear because it's just like, it's, it's a hard thing to, to have dealt with. You know, you're, you're good, your army's good, you're going good here, you're not good here. And I'm not sure if what, what created all this or what got me to this point of being locked up into a psychiatric hospital. But all of a sudden I'm, I'm in the army, I'm going, you know, I was going strong and then all of a sudden things start coming into play, nightmares, delusions, flashbacks. I start seeing people with blood on their faces. I start seeing people, like I'd walk down the street and all of a sudden it's just like you see death because you're used to seeing death. All of a sudden I'm walking down the street and next thing you know, I don't know where I'm at. I've reenacted, you know, this, this, these delusions and nightmares and flashbacks, flashbacks taking me into positions that I didn't even understand. So the army pulled it in, I turned myself in as well. I, I was like, hey, something's not right here. I'd be going into battle and not even having fear. Now, I know what I believe today and there's no fear, but also there is a level of responsibility to this. <laughs> and being on a battlefield with no fear as a crazy wild wild card while you have men that you're taking care of is not, wasn't safe. And I finally just said, hey, you know what? I need help. Something's going on. So I got help. I got brought back to Walter Reed. And that's when that marriage kind of fizzled out. I was locked up for 
not locked up, but I was in the hospital for two years. Um, I spent about six months in actual lockdown ward while they tried to figure out what to do with me. Imagine that. <laughs> this guy <laughs> has already got all these things. That, that was a, one of the catalysts. I would say one of the first steps to, to bringing me to where I am today because th there were some things that I had to learn. I didn't have Christ to walk me, to, to give me my identity. I'm still looking for my own identity. It's amazing how psychologists and psychiatrists like to sit there and say, well, what are you going to do to help? You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? How, how are you going to take care of this? And I'm sitting there going, wait, I'm sitting here in front of you. I felt so lost. I was like, help me. I wanted help. I needed help. I, I was desiring help. Um, that is when the molestation broke free. That is when my parents finally found out because as I'm sitting there with a psychologist, we're talking about everything and I just wanted to lay it all out. I didn't want any more secrets. I didn't want to hide nothing else. So I just gave it to her. I was like, hey, I was molested as a child. She goes, well, who knows? And I said, nobody knows. That was one of the first steps to healing was letting my parents know. Now for them, which is good, they understood that like, they, oh wait, there was more to this than the divorce. Of course, there was blame there on their side. There was guilt there on their side because of course, you know, their child went through this, but I was very forgiving. I never had like these ill wills towards nobody, even the person who molested me. I never sat there in a rage or a rage at my parents. It was always a rage towards myself. But it was, cool. it was a good place to start learning these things. In fact, some of the, the things I learned in there, in the psych ward, helped, helped me kind of start recognizing the things that were going on. It didn't heal me. I still had the nightmares, the delusions, and flashbacks, but I was learning ways to cope, ways to put practice in. Um, no healing, still lost, still hurt. Um, now the Army's telling me, hey, you can't be like this in the Army. You got to go. So this 10-year career... I'm like, man, I was looking for 20. I'm like, hold up a second. Hold up. You're, wait, I got to go? What am I going to do? All I've ever done was like infantry and, 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 and ranger, SF, all these kind of things. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do in this world that I don't even understand? I know the uniform. I know my men. I know how to go to war. I know how to fight. But how am I going to live out here? And as that started to wind down, I met a guy who had a business. And he was a Green Beret Special Forces. And he had started what they call medical maintenance, med working on medical equipment. So I meet him in the hospital because I got to have a job. And we kind of cross tracks. And, of course, I'm like, Ooh, wow, I'm lucky he's offering me a job. And so I break into that. You know, they're like, you got to go. So he brought me right in. It was like I transitioned out. It was in this area, uh, Washington, D.C., where, where I live now. Uh, and I'm like, okay, my sister's here. That's cool. She said, she's like, hey, you can come live with me. I was like, you can get on your feet with me. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm transitioning out of the military. I'm like, okay, I, I got this, but man, I'm hurting. Yeah, I've got a job. I got a sister who's taking care of me. But of course, I'm still suffering from delusions, nightmares, and flashbacks. I want the pain to stop. I want those to go away. The, the medications that they kept pumping me with were just making me lethargic and just, it didn't feel right. I didn't want to take them because they weren't doing nothing. And I'm just sitting there going, I feel miserable and, and it was hurting. And I'm just trying to figure out my whole life. I'm like, what am I going to do? What, what? And honestly, I think that was the first time in my whole life, maybe a couple of times in my previous marriage during some of the harder times where I just wanted to die. Where I was like, I don't want to be here no more. I got connected. My sister lives in a neighborhood in Arlington. There was, you know, the boys were out there. Uh, pumping and serving and s s serving up the, the serving up whatever you wanted. 
So I started getting into crack, started getting into meth, um, was ecstasy, anything, club drugs, whatever drugs that I could get my hands on, I would just pump it in. And honestly, there was days where I'm like, maybe if I just pump enough, I won't even have to do this no more. Because shame upon shame upon shame. It's amazing how that works, shame upon shame. And there's no outlet, no healing, no, no way to relieve, be relieved from this. And so shame is just piling up, you know, and then I got this job now. I'm good, you know, I'm rolling. Again, <laughs> it looks good on paper, but on this other side, I'm just like broke, just broke. And my boss is, is helping me along. So there's two figures right here that I, I really want to bring up because of where my testimony is going to go in Christ, right? Well, my boss was a believer and my sister was a believer. And I didn't understand Christ and love and, and this, this unconditional love and this forgiveness and, and this, this constant like holding on to me kind of thing, right? But I remember my sister, and I didn't hear this till years later, but I know my dad came in at one point and said, just kick him to the curb, put him out on the street. And my sister's like, I will not, I will not, I will go through anything to be with him. First vision of Christ right there, first version. My boss, uh, not making it to work because I'm high or missing or whatever, just missing. He was like, I'm not going to fire you. I'm going to no pay do you, but I'm not going to fire you. He's like, I don't care. He goes, you, you will go to work. You will do this. We will get through this. And so there was two people in my life at that moment. Still drugs are going on. I'm trying to, trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of this. And then I met my second wife. I met my second wife at a club. She had known me. We had known each other for a while. And uh, <laughs> I came out of drugs. And here's why. My wife actually told me, my second wife was like, uh-uh, if you want to be with me, you're not going to do that stuff no more. You got to get off the drugs. You can't be doing ecstasy. You can't be doing all those club drugs. She didn't know about the crack. She didn't know about meth and all that. She just thought I was in there on ecstasy and all this stuff. But it was kind of funny how that transitioned a fix. I transitioned right out. It was amazing. No DTs, no problems, no nothing. But I transitioned right into my next fix, right into my next drug, my next, my next help make me feel better. Imagine putting that pressure on somebody. As I look back at it now, it's like, what was I thinking? Poor her, right? And, and at the same time, she didn't have a foundation in anything. So it was kind of a mutual pouring in. She was coming out of a bad relationship, abusive relationship, you know, where someone cheated on her and uh, a marriage. And so when we came together, we were two broken people trying to take away from each other instead of pour into one another. So I moved out, you know, now I'm with my wife. I'm moving on, you know, my sister goes, leaves the area. I'm here again. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I'm in the Washington DC. I'm a Colorado boy. So I'm like, I just wish I could be home, but everything kept me here. And so I moved through that marriage, uh, 15 years, uh, that marriage lasted. And of course, obviously I'm, I'm going to another step, but in that, in that marriage, I just want to bring some points out because it wasn't always bad. It wasn't bad. It was that relationship where people would look at you and say, Hey, wow, they're good. And we were, we were decent friends, but when things fell apart, we fell apart. When things got hard, we hard, we fell apart. Um, and so we just kept trying to make this work. And, and it wasn't like we didn't love each other. In fact, to this day, I can still say I love her in a different sense, but I still love her. And I, and I, and I pray for her. And it's like, all of these things, it's, it's, it's almost like when that marriage ended, and, and I'm going to talk about why in a second because it's important, but that marriage ended, it was almost like a death in my life because it was like, wait, this was supposed to be my whole life. Hmm. So here I am in that marriage. You know, the drinking is still happening. Uh, 
pornography is still happening. Let's, let's bring this in now because this is very important in this because when pornography came into it, well, now there's no satisfaction anyways. It's like this, this evil that just keeps grabbing you. You don't understand it at the time, but it's just progressive. Nothing gets better. You know, I'm, I'm putting sexual requests onto her that no man should be putting onto anyone. Like, I got to take it a step farther. I got to take it a step farther. Then on top of that, we get pregnant eight times. Eight times we get pregnant. Eight times we lose the baby in the second trimester. This just kept piling. So my whole life is just piling from drug addiction, alcohol, broken marriages, abusive marriages, <laughs> down to, to molestation, down to broken home, trying to just understand life to PTSD, combat, and I would say, take that back a little bit, also uh, molestation, PTSD, right? So I'm just piling up all of these things and a breaking point of emptiness. And I'm just like empty, empty, empty. Eight miscarriages. How hard that is when you buy the, the shoes and how hard it is when you, you, you tell the grandparents and you're like, hey, we're gonna have a kid. And then all of a sudden it's like, no kid. Well, it took a toll on her. It took a toll on her. And she, at some point decided, I wanna start going out more. I want to start going out and partying more. And my only response at that point, I think I was at a finish point. I think that there was another working starting to happen in me because I didn't want to go back there. I didn't want to go back to a party life. I didn't want to go back to, to God, I had bandaged myself so many times with other things, with drugs and fixes and women and all of these things. How many times could I bandage myself? Being a combat medic and knowing these things and knowing how to treat wounds, saying this is temporary, this isn't even permanent, and it just keeps breaking open and painful. And she came home one day and she's just like, I want to start doing, I want to start smoking weed. And I looked at her and I said, no. I put my foot down. I knew inside, something inside of me was sitting there telling me, you go this road again, you're done. You need to walk out of this. And not walk out of the marriage, but walk out of that, that mentality of being broken and hurt and just saying, okay, let me just fall into the crowd and do what they're gonna do and just fall into, you know, being the people that are around me, their identities being in place or putting place on, or being placed on me. <sighs> and I was done. And that was 2013. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just telling her no. And, and, and I let it go for a long time. I said, and she, but she leaves, she come home high. And I'm just like, I can't, we can't do this. I knew where that takes people. I said, and I kept telling her, we need to heal. We need to heal. There's gotta be some way to heal. Watch this, we got baptized at one point together. I don't even understand all this. Like this is things that I don't, I even look back now and I'm like, what, what was going on? I know what was going on inside of me. I can't speak on her side why she would even get baptized because I was the one who was like, let me try to go to church. And there's a, a church over here, in, uh, close to here anyways, but where, you got, where we're recording this, where I, I, I tried to sit in there and it was a big church and, and it was easy just to kind of scoot back out and just be like, because I didn't really want to confront nobody, tell anybody, show anybody that I was hurting because, you know, pride. Men have pride. And then... We just got to that breaking point and it was, it was Christmas, 2013, <laughs> go figure. My parents on Christmas tell us we're getting divorced and imagine the, the curse that's there, the generous curse that stepped into a lot of this. Wow. Um, it came to that point. So between Christmas and New Year, she walked out, um, just packed her bags and said, hey, I, it's not that I don't love you. I just, I need time. I wanna do my own life. I want to figure out what's going on. And, and I could understand the breaking inside of someone like that. 
But I'll tell you what, I, I sat there and, and there were some decisions I was going to have to make. And one of them was I don't want to, I didn't want to put another bandage on. And so I know New Year's Eve is always a hard one. It's like usually you're out with your friends and your party and you're having a good time. I said, you know what, I'm just going to sit home. Of course, what did I do? I took an Ambien. I took a beer, you know, and I'm like, I'm just, I'll go to sleep and, and wake up tomorrow, just be a new year. But I didn't wake up at home. After I took the Ambien and the beer, I don't know what happened. I really don't know what happened. It was just an Ambien and a beer. But I did wake up at my friend's house in Virginia. And uh, it's about a 45 minute drive. I don't remember how I got there. But I remember sitting in a chair kind of like this. And I'm just sitting there and I wake up and he's sitting across from me. Now this is an army friend of mine. He was a double amputee. And he's got a gun sitting on his chair. And I'm trying to process this as a military guy and a tactician person. I'm like, what's going on, man? What's, like, what's going on here? And I said, brother, what, what's going on? He goes, well, reach inside your hoodie. So I reach inside of my hoodie. I've got mine, my pistol on me. And he goes, I wanted to watch over you. But I wasn't going to do it without some protection. But he sat up all night and just watched over me. That was the day that Christ kind of became this, this idea. My parents have been praying for it. You know, every once in a while, you know, when I go home for, for, for leave or for vacation, you know, it'd be times where my mom's at church. She'd be like, hey, would you just come with me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I always like to sing. It's always been something in, in me about singing. So there would be times throughout all those years that I would end up in a church. And it was amazing that when you look back and you start thinking about being there in that presence, right? In this presence of God, not knowing that that's what the presence, you know, not understanding that presence, but knowing that's what they're there for and singing with them, but having something inside of you say, this is right, that all is wrong. And you don't see it in the moment, but when you look back to it and you start praying over it and you start thinking about it, you're like, whoa, hold up. Hold up. There was somebody there the whole time. This person that I believed in way back there who people say, oh, you had no fruits. Oh, who you said this. But I believed he existed. I believed that he did die on the cross. There was none of that that I didn't believe. Mine ended up being an unworthiness to stand in front of God thinking that I was Adam hiding in a, in a garden. No. He wanted me and he kept coming after me. And these things start to line up. You get kicked out of the military. Uh, there's a boss that believes in Christ and he says, come on board. And he watches over you. It's not luck in a job that I'm not even trained for. It's not luck, you know, to a sister who sat there and, and just kept me as I'm sitting there just high on drugs all the time, trying to cover it, which probably wasn't being covered at all. If I was to go ask my sister right now, was I covering anything? She'd probably tell me no. But here I am in this moment, I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, fine. Look, I get up and I go home and I, and I open up my laptop and I'm like, I'm gonna give this, okay, God. I'm, I'm looking to God and I'm just like, fine. And I'm almost like shaking my fist saying, okay, fine. Show me something. Ooh, ooh, that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous question right there. To spit out, show me something in defiance. So I opened the laptop. I said, you show me something. You give me a church that's close to my house. You give me a church that I can be at. If my car breaks down, what, I was, all the excuses out the door. I was like, I'll be there. And I'll listen. And I'll see what you have to say or what you can do. I'll be there. I did make a commitment. There's one thing in my life I've always kept was my commitments. And so I opened my laptop. And I found Greater Grace Community Church is where I'm at now, still to this day. And I found a pastor who preached about grace. 
And I found a pastor who preaches about finished work. I, I found a pastor who also says, hey, there's some correction in this, but there's grace and there's, there's mercy. And I'm like, I don't believe this. Like in my mind, in my carnal, my, my, <laughs> my fleshy mind, I'm like, this is a grace thing. And I was always under the impression you sin, you, you lose your salvation. You sin, you can lose your salvation. And I'm just like trying to buy this, but I'm liking it. Look, I'm liking it. I remember my wife telling me, she goes, I, I saw this dude standing in the front row, arms raised high, worshiping out to the Lord, because I love singing, y'all. I love singing. Worshiping the Lord and crying. Like, I was bawling, y'all. Just be real. Like, uh, I want something. I wanted something. I want, I, maybe this was my next fix. I didn't know. You know, but I'm searching for a fix, but I'm at least in the right direction this time. And so I stayed in it. Um, went through January, got into February. Now I travel to Kenya a lot. I have uh, army missions in Kenya that I do. I've been doing it for 20 plus years. And I get over to Kenya, got the same friends though. I haven't transitioned friends, so you roll off the plane, everybody's like, what's up, what's up? Yeah, and you, and you get into it. <sighs> and methamphetamines have found their way into Kenya. Methamphetamines have found their way into my friends. So here I am faced again with a problem. Is it a problem? Would I be strong enough? And honestly, I wasn't. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't strong enough to, to say no. And next thing you know, I, I, I walked a mission through Kenya high. Methamphetamines, honestly, probably the best I've ever came across in my entire life. Satan wanted me. Satan was fighting me just like God was fighting for me. Because in behind that, every time, shame. Shame again led to what? Cover. Cover led to more shame. And it was just this cycle. It's a hamster wheel of just shame and just trying to, to, to cover it back up and run away from it through other things other than anything that's going to help me. And I come back and I'm on the plane. Now, by this time, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm like, well, I, I got to reconcile with my wife. I mean, hello. I, I tell her no. And now I'm like, Psh. and so that's in my mind, you know, but I'm broke. I'm so broken. I'm, I'm, I'm flying back and I'm like, oh, my God, I did exactly what I didn't want to do. Here I am getting high again. Here I am like putting drugs in front of everything else. I get, I'm working for the army. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing? You know, all of these things and the shame starts to come back up. But on the plane ride, it's different this time. I just didn't sit there in myself saying, man, I'm, I suck. I'm not good. But I'm in my head going, God, what, what do I do? What do I do? And that's when submission hit it started to take root. It started to say like, hold on. I'm like, God help me. Not God show me, but God help me. Help me, Lord, help me, God. I didn't know how to call on that like I do now. I didn't know any of these Christian terms and all these Christian words. In fact, my wife, funny story there, she translates those for me in the beginning. We go to Bible study, I'd be talking in like street, street language and she, they'd be like, huh? And she'd be like, let me just tell you what he's trying to say. And she'd use Christian, Christianese is what I call it. It was kind of a hilarious point in our lives. But anyways, I come back on that plane, man, and, and I get off that plane and, and it's, a, it's a Friday. And then there's Saturday and there's Sunday, right? There's church on Sunday. And, I, you know, I'm prepping myself. I'm going to go to church. I'm not stopping. Lord, help me. So I go home that day. And, and then Saturday comes in. And uh, it was uh, Saturday night. Saturday night, you know, I lay down. I go to sleep. And I have a dream. I have a dream of God or Christ being crucified on the cross. 
I have a dream of him being whipped and beaten and crown of thorns put on his head and just being mocked and being jeered and just being beaten. Piercing of the side. I mean, it's like this vivid dream just is in my mind of the crucifixion and the pain and the agony that he was going through. And I knew that he went to the cross. You know, by then, you know, I know he went to the cross for my sins. And I'm just thinking about this. And it's almost like God let me experience some of this. How that transpires out, I'll never be able to explain except for God doing a mighty work and trying to make me understand something. That no matter what I had gone through or what pain I had gone through, it was nothing. Nothing in comparison to what Jesus went through for all of us. I woke up bawling and crying. I was just, I think that that was the undone moment where I'm just completely undone. Here I am. I knelt on the side of the bed and I said, Jesus, I am yours. I am yours. You use me how you see fit. Another crazy thing to say and be ready for it when you say it. The next day I go to church, you know, at this point in my life, there's a song called uh, by Jeremy Riddle, uh, Sweetly Broken. And it just sings about like being broken, but it's okay. You know, it's okay to be broken because Christ is, is in this. And it's amazing that that song was just playing over. It's okay to be broken because my whole life I'm like, I can't be broken. I can't be broken. I have to be okay. I have to be okay. I got to keep this, this life has to look good. My uniform has to be pressed. My medals have to be shined. My shoes have to be glossy. You know, everything has to be perfect. And then this side was like, and there, here I am going. He's like, no, this side, we need to, we need to go here first. This, I understand this, but we need to go here because you're broken. And I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to take care of your brokenness. And I just felt that. And I felt that. So here I'm pumping this. You know, I'm at church that Sunday. Of course, you know, this recommitment to Christ, you know, to like I'm committed. I'm like, I'm in this. And I go home after church and I got Jeremy Riddle playing and I just fall down in my entryway because a good sermon, you know, it was, it was good. It was telling me reinforcements. One of those reinforcement sermons is like, you're okay. You're going to be fine. God's got you, you know, just trust in him. And I fall down in my entryway of my, my apartment. I'm just bawling. And finally I'm like, let me get up. So I go around the kitchen, grab, a, grab something to eat. Again, how, how these things work, how these things transpire. My cabinets are open. The shelving has been, has fallen over and all of my dishes were out on the floor broken, except for one bowl, one plate, and one cup. And I was a little overwhelmed. You know, you're like, what, what is this? Because you don't, it's unexplainable. And he said, clean it up. I felt this, this voice saying, clean it up. Just clean that up. So I clean it up. I'm looking at the floor of all this brokenness. And now I'm looking at this floor and he goes, what does it look like now? It's clean, isn't it? And in my mind and in, in, this, in, this, in this conversation, not audible, come on, I'm not like it, but in this conversation, he's telling me, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. That broken, that, that right there, that chaos and everything that you see in front of you, I've just taken care of that. It's done. So I sip, so I have that one bowl, that's the joke on this. I have one bowl, one plate, and, and, and one cup because he was like, you've been in all these chases all of these fixes, all of these things the world have to, had to offer, all these things that Satan has laid down on you, all the things that the flesh ran after. But here I am. I am your fix. This will be your final fix. 
And so that is how it all started. And, 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 and it's like, it was like a fire went off inside of me. You know, I'm going to church, but let me tell you something, it's hard. It's never, it's not just like all of a sudden it's like, I'm good. No, but watch this too. There's, there's one thing I want to add in here that is amazing. A miracle was performed in my life that day, kneeling beside a bed, completely broken in surrender. 2014, February, was the last time I ever experienced a nightmare, a delusion, or a flashback. I was healed. I was healed from that. I no longer had this desire for pornography, healed. This doesn't happen to everyone. In fact, some of the spaces I'm in now, because you know I'm in ministry and I'm in all these things, there's people who just like, because they're still going through it and they get frustrated with it, but they're also like, there's hope in it because God can do these healings. There is, I'm not saying that if it's not being healed that you're not good enough. That's not what I'm saying, but the possibility is there and God is gonna do things in his time and in his will. And I want that to be understood for me, especially for me, I had to know this. I was like, okay, fine, it's gone. But that was one of the greatest things that was holding me down. Okay, pride, uh, self-control, <laughs> patience. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> still, still struggles still struggles in my life. But God came in and started doing a mighty work. You know, I started going to Bible studies. You know, I, and like I said, I tried to reconcile. We came to the table a couple of times and I'm talking about Jesus. And by then I'm in Bible college. By then I'm taking all these classes because I just want more. I want to hear more. I want to understand more. I want to see what this, this justification was that he put me into this permanent, like, hey, here's the download. Here's the download in you. I have just cleansed you, washed you, taken care of you. That is no longer you. That person back there is not you. You are who I say you are because I am in you. And I'm like, whoa, I'm just blown. So I'm doing all this and we go back to the table a couple of times. And, and honestly, I tried. I mean, it was like, you try. And she would say she's going to a psychic and I'm saying I'm going to Bible college and, and it just didn't work out and she left and I got filed. And so here I was again on my own, but at this time I had Christ. This time, my relationship, I had Christ. This time, I was not alone. This time, watch this, the elephant that's on my chest, the emptiness, the, 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 the final life, the rejections that I was receiving in life from the, the world side didn't impact me the way that they used to impact me. There wasn't an emptiness inside of me no more. There wasn't an emptiness that would crush me. It was, like, it was like, I'm okay. I've got Jesus. And I just kept turning to Jesus. Man, I was at church Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. We have, we have like Sunday service, Tuesday Bible study, Thursday uh, prayer service. And it was like, but it was like, let me tell you, back to the hard part. Sunday to Tuesday, one day. Okay, Monday would be tough. But I get in there Tuesday, be with the brothers, be with the sisters, be in the body, be hearing the word of God, being filled. Then between Tuesday to Thursday, another day. That's okay, but the hardest one. <laughs> was that Thursday. After Thursday service, being with everybody, Friday, Saturday to Sunday. But you know what? He just kept working. I met my wife uh, that, I married, that, I'm, that I'm married to today for a beautiful seven years. Um, but we just kept going that direction, going towards Christ. And you know, he's been, he's been faithful. He's been faithful in my life. Um, I met my wife, like I said, she would be the translator of Christianese because like, I didn't know all the terms that, that they use. I went to Bible college, I got into ministry, you know, we, we run a podcast, we, I'm in men ministry, youth ministry, um, I run these programs. But it's not because I feel like I, I have to, it's because I want to. I want to, I want to also be a part of what God has instituted in, 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 in His people. 
it's not four walls of a building, but it's a community and it's, and that's how, and we're there for one another. And I wish that I would have come to that sooner, but then you could sit there and be stuck on that because man, it would have made life a lot easier if I would have just grabbed a hold of that back then. But you know what? God had a testimony for me and God wanted to use me for something. And you know what? I'm just letting him use me. So we go down that road. My wife and I love, you know, we love the Lord. We're in the Lord. We're raising our child up in the Lord. And I, I don't know how to say it, but he's so good. And I'm not empty. And now when me and my wife drift, we're not empty. When we have a little skirmish or argument, no, we're turning to Christ. We're turning to God. And then what does that do? It brings us back so much faster, so much cleaner. So God has done this in my life. And that is, my, that is his testimony in my life. And he is good. Now, Shay, you mentioned, um, you mentioned your father earlier and just your relationship mm. with your dad and how that affected you. How is your relationship with your father today? Still strained. Um, there's, I don't doubt his love. He's been there supporting me the best way that he could. He also has things in his own past. Um, I reach out. And when I reach out, we talk. Other than that, we don't talk, but I still love him. He loves me and we just kind of, I have an understanding more now than I used to have in that relationship. Knowing that, you know what? It, love isn't always exactly how you want it to be, but love can be manifest in different ways to where you can understand that that person at least cares and, and loves. Yeah. How about with your, with your mother? Oh. That, that was on fire. Uh, we talked daily. <laughs> we just talked about Bible, the Lord. Um, she goes, she's going through a hard time now. So, you know, it's nice to be solidified in a relationship with Christ to where I can be. I, it's, I don't know if this is even right in, in ministry, but I almost have become a pastor in her, in her walk and what she's going through right now. And, and that to, to, she hits me up. I give her a word and I give her encouragement. Wow. Yeah. How is it for for your parents now to see you where you're at now? Um, and you may not have too much insight, but just from what you know, and even the people that knew you in that time, you know, how has it been for them? How's the reaction been of them seeing the before and after? It has been amazing to a lot of them. Uh, my mom and my grandmother were real prayer warriors for my soul. And so to see me come in onto a side of, you know, now being in the pastoralship, you know, preaching and all these things from this kid who they were praying for, I hope God, or I hope he could just find Jesus to, to really expanding and getting into ministry um, through his calling, not my own, but for him guiding. Uh, I know my mom has seen this. My dad always wanted me in church. He's super excited. Uh, Sometimes he's, he's still that same dad, you know, 44 points, point, 44.5 points a game. He's like, you can still rebound better. Yeah, but you know what? He, he's, I, he loves it. Um, he throws out that occasional remark on some of the stuff that we drop on our podcast and stuff. And so you know he's there. And, and so he, he's there. He's with me. Friends at work has seen me where the dude who would explode and throw a coffee cup across the room and hit the wall because he's just angry. To this dude who's chilled out, Christ, and, and, and you know, I, I say Christ like, they're just like this dude who's chilled out, but when they ask, what happened? How did you handle all that? I always point it back to Jesus. Come on. Yeah. Shay, who is Jesus to you? <laughs> That's like one of the hardest questions for a person to ask. Savior. One word, Savior. Uh, expound a little on that. 
life, love, correction, my best friend, my Lord, my King. I know there's a lot of words put into one, but he is the one that I believe requires or that I desire. Let me, let me change that so it's not a religious sounding statement. He is the one that I desire to invest my time into because I know that when I invest my time into him, then the investments that he's trusted me with, my wife and my child and, and, and ministries, then have fruit Amen. that I can't produce myself. Now, Shay, for anybody who is uh, relating to your life before Jesus, and maybe they're in those places, right, of hopelessness, and um, I'm just tired, right, and, and just seeking and, and wanting um, an encounter with God. What can you say to those people who are watching your testimony right now? There's an answer. There's a fix. We don't always understand this. Um, I was told this my whole life. You know, hey, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And and honestly, I need Jesus. Okay, I, I understand that. Um, but sitting here now and looking back to all of the brokenness and me trying to dig myself out of it, we can't dig ourselves out of it. Our wife can't dig us out of it. Our child can't dig us out of it. That, 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 that next hit will not dig me out of it. That next line of Coke will not dig me out of it. That pornography and, and satisfaction will not get me out of it. I walked that road. For, it took me to 41 years old of chasing after the world to realize finally, you know what, there's an answer to this. There was a final fix, but it took something. It took me to sit there and say, hey, look, here's, here, I challenge. I, I like to challenge a little bit and not preach it, but I'm going to challenge it. Ask God. Say, Holy Spirit, show me and see what happens. Any last words, Shay, for anybody who's watching your testimony right now? God loves you. One of the things that we lack in, in, our, in our lives the most or we want is, is love. I wanted love. I always fell short. His love never fell short. And the more I read and the more I learn about him and his love, not the religiosity of all of this, not the, oh, you have to produce these beautiful fruit to be something. But the more we learn about him and his character and who he is, he will show us. Mm. And you'll learn that there is someone who created you, who created you to take you back to, and, and, and knew that there would be a fall in the garden, that knew, knew that there would be problems and, and that these problems would exist, but he would give you a way to go back to that garden and be in his presence and be with him and be satisfied and not be empty.